About three millennia ago, that's the best we can track some psalms, number 24 was written for people who were making a pilgrimage up to the temple at Jerusalem. As they walk up towards God's house, they ask repeatedly as they sing, who is this king of glory? Today we ask each other the same question. Who is this King of glory? Who is this God who calls us together? Out of the many possible images of God, consider which one would be most meaningful for you this day. Would it be the bearded patriarch? Would it be a king on a throne with a long flowing robe? Would it be the grandmother holding you in her big lap as she rocks in a squeaky chair? For many, Jesus is this this king of glory. Jesus, God enfleshed in a swaddled and sleeping baby. Or as an active and curious boy or as a righteous and quietly suffering 33-year-old rabbi. Your image of God might be like wind, a breeze from which we can see only the results of its passing presence. Or maybe your image is light, as in the Advent candle we just lit. We have all these images that can mean something to us at one time or another, and yet all our images cannot encompass God. We just cannot conceive it. Each one, though, can help us help guide us through various joys and challenges. God has created many things in life to be important to us. 
Around this time, we think about our homes, our families, our incomes, our relationships. All these are wonderful and powerful parts of our lives. And yet we must take care, especially at this time of year, to not boost them above God on our ladder of priorities. If they become our gods, we become unbalanced and life is shaky. Who is your God? And to which image of God would you like to connect in this special hour of your own sacred life?
condemn us, why would he come to shoulder our sentence? Nothing we've done will keep him from giving us grace. Who is this one? We watch and we're speechless. God's only son embracing our weakness. He overcomes all death and he frees us to
sing praise to you this morning, Father God, for loving and reaching and breathing, for coming into this world, into this world that rejected you, into this world that still rejects you. We thank you for coming in human form. We thank you for taking on that breath that you created, for taking on life that you created so that you could come and you could walk among us so that we could touch you, so that we could experience a glimpse of glory through your sacrifice in this season as we think of that tiny babe, that human form that you came to earth to be, we thank you that you have lived and dwelt among us. To be a hero, the ultimate hero, to show us how to be heroic through you, to share your mercy and your grace in a way that was absolutely scandalous and still is today. Thank you. Psalm 146 says, Shout praises to the Lord. With all that I am, I will shout his praises. I will sing and praise the Lord God for as long as I live. You can't depend on anyone, not even a great leader. Once they die and are buried... That will be the end of all their plans. The Lord God of Jacob blesses everyone who trusts him and depends on him. God made heaven and earth. He created the sea and everything else. God always keeps his word. He gives justice to the poor and food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free and heals blind eyes. He gives a helping hand to everyone who falls. The Lord loves good people and looks after strangers. He defends the rights of orphans and widows, but destroys the wicked. The Lord God of Zion will rule forever. Shout praises to the Lord. Perhaps you have noticed in your life that hindsight is a clever instructor. Many of us have been going through a spiritual formation study, and one of the things we were asked to do is to think back over some of the milestones in our lives. 
One of the milestones that came to me happened during college. Like most kids who grew up in church, I loved my early years in college watching 11 o'clock on Sunday come and go from my dorm room. But after a while, that stopped working. And I got involved with the Baptist Student Union my junior year. My senior year, at the first large group meeting, I was invited to give a brief devotional. I guess, looking back, that was my first sermon. But um, I had written out my thoughts on the ubiquitous 3 by 5 index cards. And I had sat on the end of a row so that I could get out quickly and get back quickly to my seat. And still didn't feel prepared. But the time came in the program for me to get up and do my little devotional. And when I got up, I put my three-by-five card on my chair. And as I started walking up front, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Why did I put that card on my chair? That was my notes. That's what I was prepared to say. And I got up in front of the people and I just said something. And I have no idea what I said. But again, looking back, in hindsight, I believe it was the Holy Spirit who told me to put that card on my chair and to trust that the Spirit would work through the thoughts that I had prepared along with what God really wanted me to say. And that would be what the people needed to hear. Why? I think God calls us again and again to release our control over to God. Look back over your life and see if that hasn't been true for you. Why did God come to earth? You probably have your own reasons. The the ones that came to my mind were, for one thing, to save us from selfishness and from ourselves. I think God came to earth because we humans needed help. We didn't understand God well enough at that time. I think God came to earth to show us about sacrifice and that sacrifice is what really jazzes up this life and makes it worth living. We needed God to appear in our form to teach us to live the way that God wants us to live, some of which some of those ways were enumerated in the Psalm 146. Executing justice for the oppressed. Inviting those different from us into our midst or going into theirs. Feeding the hungry. Offering healing wherever we can, however we can. Remember some of your own spiritual milestones. And think about what God teaches you now in hindsight. And then how might those lessons affect you in this coming week? Will you stand? Will you greet your neighbor with a Merry Christmas?
Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, Merry Christmas. Out loud. Merry Christmas, as we sing some of our favorite carols of the season.
cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of Heaven. It's only by your It's really fitting that Thanksgiving so closely precedes Christmas because realizing how much we have received compels us toward the generosity of Christmas. Two of Calvary's members helped remind us of that by encouraging to put together Christmas shoeboxes for the children at Standing Rock Reservation in South Dakota. Teams have gone to this reservation for the last three years, and for the last two, we have prepared these boxes. Last year, we had 49, and this year, we had 97. And that's going to be such a powerful gift to those children who have so little. We each got Christmas lists if we wanted to shop for these kids, and besides the requisite toys that um, every child wants for Christmas. The list also included things like socks and underwear, pens and pencils. At a Sunday night youth gathering, one of the middle schoolers was looking over the list and said incredulously, they don't have pencils? They don't have pencils. They don't have underwear. 
Experiencing another culture where people have less than we do, even if it's only through a Christmas shopping list, gives us reasons to be thankful. When we pause and reflect on all the amazing gifts that God has given to us, especially at this time the gift of Jesus, we really don't know how to express our thanks for such overwhelming generosity. Usually when we want to express our thanks, what do we do? Write a thank you note. Well, we could do that to God. If we keep a journal, maybe, we could write a thank you note to God in that. But I think, too, we can live our lives as a thank you note to God. So besides money, and luckily the offering plates have already passed, what can we give? What would you like to give back to God as you recognize how generous God has been to you? We have a moment of silence ahead to reflect on God's gifts of beauty, of people, of talents, of music, of homes, of nature, whatever is on your list. Offer that to God. And as you step back and and make out your list of thanksgiving, consider in what ways you might then express your thanks. Forever and love me, I 
When Jesus was a boy and left the door open to the cold air, don't you know people said to him, Boy, was you born in a barn? (laughs) Well, in this song and in Luke 2, we find Jesus lying not on a flame-proof crib mattress, not with a mobile hanging above him and tantalizing his gaze, not in a heated room, not lying about at leisure in pampers, not with a blue machine-knitted cap covering his shock of black hair. We find Jesus in a barn, lying on prickly hay, surrounded by smelly animals and dried animal slobber. What an embarrassingly humble beginning. In the most humble, perhaps humiliating places, we are likely to find God. Glenn Henson had come a long way from a difficult childhood when his family was not only dirt poor, but his father was an angry alcoholic. While some sons of alcoholic fathers would end up just like their daddies, Henson was driven to channel his energy elsewhere. He wanted to be a seminary professor. And yet he was overdoing it. He worked straight through college and through his master's degree and was working on his Ph.D. He had married. He was teaching seminary classes when he began to lose his voice. Everything toward which he had worked seemed to be curling like water in the bottom of a tub going down the drain. Without a voice, how could he teach? And into this painful time, a passage of scripture hit home. It was this one from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. He wrote, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul continues, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Glenn Henson was humbled by the power of God's grace, and it created in him a depth of thanks and responsibility, responsibility to live forward in that grace and generously and bountifully sharing it with others. Now, if you're a new parent and you read baby books and your child is getting ready to the, be the point of crawling, The baby books will tell you to get down on your knees on all fours and look around your house 
and see what would be interesting to grab. And that will help you childproof your house. Isn't that interesting? Get down low to see from someone else's perspective. Humble ourselves. When we have hurt someone so terribly, we can reach out for God's grace and courage to apologize. When our vision is blurred and we are at a standstill in our life, God's grace is sufficient to see us through. At our loneliest, basest moments, God is not looking around for an emergency exit, but stays with us as solid as a rock through the humiliation to a new point of humility and peace.
In the novel Pride and Prejudice, Miss Elizabeth Bennet has the most vitriolic of thoughts toward the arrogant Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy. Mr. Darcy's actions had brought sadness and pain to two people for whom Elizabeth had the highest regard, one of whom was her sister. After Mr. Darcy both expressed his ardent love for her and debased her again, Elizabeth exploded, telling him why he was so despicable to her. Mr. Darcy's departure was understandably hasty. The next morning, though, he sought Elizabeth and quietly gave her a long letter explaining what he had done and why. Once they each had aired their sides of the stories, their relationship began to improve and deepen. Okay, enough of that. We each have our stories of faith and doubt. We each have our stories of weakness and strength. We each have our stories of despair and hope. And when we air our stories, our own relationships begin to improve and deepen. This is true in our relationships with each other, all of us who are gathered in this room. We now have a common story that no one beyond this room has. And it's especially true in our relationship with God. When we open ourselves up and air our stories, our relationships deepen and improve. Before we can allow that to happen, though, we must recognize that there is risk and vulnerability involved. And we must decide whether the long-term goals of those improved relationships are worth the short-term risks and vulnerabilities. Now, most of us won't make a new decision about our relationship with God today because it demands us to release so much of that desired control that we love so much. And yet God invites each of us to release our own headlock on our hearts so that God may catch them and caress them into a fullness of love and acceptance and joy and hope. Will you make room in your heart for Jesus, the humble one? Let's pray. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus, we pray. Reach in. Take out whatever is musty and dirty and seeks to control. And work your way inside us so that you can guide us each day of our lives. You have left your throne for us. Now let us leave ours for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have made a decision to accept Christ into your heart or to move your heart to this congregation's heart as a member, then I would be delighted to meet you at the front as we sing together.
on the final page, if you'll flip the page to Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne, we will sing that together.
See?